if you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born and what my lousy childhood was like and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me and all that David Copperfield kind of crap. But I don't feel like going into it if you want to know the truth. In the first place, that stuff bores me. And in the second place, my parents would have about two hemorrhages apiece if I told anything pretty personal about them. They're quite touchy about anything like that, especially my father. They're nice and all. I'm not saying that. But they're also touchy as hell. Welcome, folks, to another episode of Book Blurbs. I'm your host, Kenneth, and on this episode, we're discussing another classic of American literature, a polarizing coming-of-age story about themes such as innocence, identity, depression, loss, and connection that's simultaneously listed as one of the best English-language novels ever written and one of the most censored books in schools and libraries. This is J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye. The Catcher in the Rye was partially published in serial form in 1945 and 1946 before being published as a book in 1951. Set over the course of just three days, Holden Caulfield is the main character of the story. We learn in the first chapter that 17-year-old Holden is telling the story of those three days in the life of 16-year-old Holden. To make a long story short, those three days involve Holden getting kicked out of yet another prestigious boarding school for failing every subject except English and procrastinating facing his inevitable confrontation with his parents by drifting around New York City. During his time in New York, he desperately tries to establish connections with people and ward off his ever-growing depression over how phony everyone and everything is. I've heard and read a lot of people complain that nothing happens in The Catcher in the Rye, but before we analyze the story and decide if that holds any truth, I want to point out something I immediately noticed when I picked this book up. The Catcher in the Rye is unlike virtually any other book I've read recently in terms of its self-promotion. Most books have a blurb about the story or even a brief teaser, as well as a bio and critical acclaim for the author, but The Catcher in the Rye is completely void of all that. J.D. Salinger is practically invisible in his most famous book, and that's probably just how he wanted it. Jerome David Salinger was born on January 1st, 1919, in New York. Growing up, Salinger managed the fencing team at his school, wrote for the school newspaper, and appeared in plays. He was known to write stories under the covers that night with the aid of a flashlight, according to one biography. He enrolled at New York University in 1936, initially intent on studying special education before dropping out in the spring. 
After he dropped out, his father encouraged him to learn about the meat importing business, so he moved to Vienna to work for a slaughterhouse there. However, he was so disgusted by the meat business that he left Austria just one month before it was annexed by Nazi Germany. He attended Ursinus College in Pennsylvania for one semester before dropping out there, too. Are you noticing any similarities to Holden Caulfield yet, by any chance? Salinger then attended Columbia University School of General Studies in Manhattan, where he took a writing class by Whit Burnett, who became Salinger's mentor. In 1941, Salinger briefly worked on a Caribbean cruise ship as an activity director and possibly a performer. That same year, Salinger began submitting short stories to The New Yorker. In December 1941, the publication accepted Salinger's Slight Rebellion Off Madison, a short story set in Manhattan about disaffected teenager Holden Caulfield. After Pearl Harbor, however, the publication deemed the story unpublishable, devastating Salinger. The story would not get published until 1946. Salinger was drafted into the Army in 1942. He was present at Utah Beach on D-Day, as well as the Battle of the Bulge, among other World War II battles. Salinger also served in a counterintelligence unit and interrogated prisoners of war. In 1945, he helped liberate a subcamp of Dachau. Salinger earned the rank of staff sergeant during the war. His experiences in World War II affected him tremendously. He was hospitalized for a few weeks for combat stress reaction after Germany surrendered. His daughter, Margaret, said he told her, you never really get the smell of burning flesh out of your nose entirely, no matter how long you live. During World War II, Salinger met Ernest Hemingway, a writer who had inspired him. Hemingway was impressed by Salinger's writing and said, he has a hell of a talent. The two writers kept in touch, and Salinger wrote Hemingway that their meetings and talks were among his few positive takeaways from the war. In one letter, Salinger told Hemingway that he was working on a play about Holden Caulfield from his story, Slight Rebellion Off Madison, and he planned on playing the part of Holden himself. Salinger signed up with the Army Counterintelligence Corps to rid the German and Austrian societies of Nazi, Nazi ideology after Germany surrendered. Around that time, he met Sylvia Welter and brought her back with him to the United States. Their marriage quickly fell apart, however, and she returned to Germany. In 1972, his daughter, Margaret, was with Salinger when he received a letter from Sylvia. According to her, he took one look at the envelope and tore it apart without even opening it. This was the first time he had heard from Sylvia since their marriage ended. Margaret explained that when he was finished with a person, he was through with them.
Salinger worked with his mentor, Whit Burnett, to get a collection of his short stories published. When they failed to get this book of short stories published, however, their relationship soured. In 1947, Salinger submitted a short story he had written titled The Banana Fish to The New Yorker. The magazine was impressed, but asked Salinger to revise it. Salinger spent a year working on revisions for it with The New Yorker editors, and the magazine finally accepted the story under the title A Perfect Day for a Banana Fish and printed it in its January 31st, 1948 issue. The story received critical acclaim and gained Salinger recognition in the literary world. Salinger sold the film rights to one of his stories to build up financial security. Samuel Goldwyn's film, My Foolish Heart, starring Susan Hayward, departed from Salinger's story and bombed critically, leading to Salinger vowing to never again permit film adaptations to be created from his work. The Catcher in the Rye was published in 1951 to great success. Within two months of its publication, the book had been reprinted eight times, and it spent 30 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Several schools banned the book because of its vulgar language and incidents of prostitution and underage smoking and alcohol consumption. In an interview, Salinger said, my boyhood was much the same of that of the boy in the book. It was a great relief telling people about it. In the wake of the novel's success, Salinger received and rejected countless offers to adapt the book for film, including one from the same Samuel Goldwyn, who he had seen as ruining one of his other stories. Some of those other offers came from the likes of Steven Spielberg and even Leonardo DiCaprio over all these years. As time went on, Salinger tightened his grip on publicity. He did not want to allow his publishers to portray his characters on covers or dust jackets because he didn't want his readers to go into the story with a preconceived notion of them. My edition of The Catcher in the Rye, for instance, looks like the first edition cover with the carousel horses, but no characters. And there is no picture of Salinger anywhere in or on the book. With the massive success of The Catcher in the Rye, Salinger withdrew from the public eye, moving from New York to New Hampshire in 1953 and he published his work less frequently before stopping altogether. He wrote, It is my rather subversive opinion that a writer's feelings of anonymity, obscurity, are the second most valuable property on loan to him during his working years. In 1955, he married Claire Douglas, and the couple had two children, Margaret and a son, Matthew. In contrast to his sister, who wrote about her childhood and their father, Matthew has remained a staunch defender of their father's privacy. Margaret wrote that her mother felt like she had replaced her in Salinger's affections after she was born. 
According to Margaret, her mother admitted to her years later that she went over the edge in the winter of 1957 and had made plans to murder her and then commit suicide. Claire had supposedly intended to do it during a trip to New York City with Salinger, but she instead acted on a sudden impulse to take Margaret from the hotel and run away. Claire and Salinger separated in 1966, and their divorce was finalized in 1967. In 1972, a 53-year-old Salinger began a relationship with 18-year-old Joyce Maynard, a writer for Seventeen magazine. Maynard moved in with Salinger after her first year at Yale. The relationship ended abruptly within a year, however. Salinger told Margaret that it was because Maynard wanted children, and he felt like he was too old to have more children. Maynard, on the other hand, claimed Salinger sent her away for no reason and refused to take her back despite her dropping out of Yale to be with him and forfeiting scholarships. Salinger married his final wife, Colleen O'Neill, who was 40 years younger than him in 1988. Salinger died on January 27, 2010, at his home in New Hampshire at the age of 91 known just as much for the catcher in the rye as his dedication to his privacy. As the New York Times wrote, Mr. Salinger is almost equally famous for having elevated privacy to an art form. After this short break, we'll turn to the novel itself, examine the character of Holden Caulfield, talk about the book's legacy, and give out a rating. Book Blurbs will return in just a moment. Welcome back to Book Blurbs, everyone. On this episode, we're discussing J.D. Salinger's most famous work, his 1951 novel, The Catcher in the Rye. Fun fact for you. Bill Gates has said that he first read The Catcher in the Rye when he was 13, and he names it as his favorite book of all time. So let's jump right into the book itself. What's the writing style of The Catcher in the Rye that you can expect going into the book? Well, Salinger writes Holden's first-person narration in a colloquial slang. It sounds exactly like a teenager from the 1940s or 1950s is talking to you, not like an accomplished author is writing it. This is how an author can use slang well to further immerse readers into the mindset of the characters. Salinger doesn't need to invent a made-up slang like NADSAT in Anthony Burgess's A Clockwork Orange because he knows, he knows we've lived through those teenage years and we can all understand the colloquialisms and mindset. Something important to notice about Holden and his narration is when he says, you, he usually means I. For instance, when he talks about holding hands with Jane, he says, 
You never even worried with Jane whether your hand was sweaty or not. All you knew was you were happy. Of course, Holden doesn't mean you were happy. You weren't holding hands with Jane. It's so difficult for Holden to put himself back in that place that he can't say I and has to take a step back from the memory. It's really sad when you think about it like that. Speaking of Holden and his narrative style, he presents readers with a giant red flag early on in the book in the first paragraph of chapter three. Holden says, I'm the most terrific liar you ever saw in your life. It's awful. If I'm on my way to the store to buy a magazine even, and somebody asks me where I'm going, I'm liable to say, I'm going to the opera. It's terrible. Right off the bat, Holden is confessing that he is an unreliable narrator. Usually, this distorts the events of the story and makes readers do some heavy discerning between elaborations and truth. That's still true to an extent here, but we're reading because we're interested in Holden's perspective on people, places, and things. We're more focused on how Holden presents information. It's ironic because by identifying himself as a terrific liar, Holden is hypocritically a phony. For example, he tells us about a time when he made himself throw up after drinking a bottle of liquor. He wants us to think that he can hold his liquor rather than coming out and saying that he really had to throw it up because it made him feel bad. Throughout the novel, Holden complains about how phony the world is. Don't even get him started talking about movies. Movies are the most phony thing in the world to him. In fact, he hates movies so much that he tells us as much on the second page of the book. Holden says, If there's one thing I hate, it's the movies. Don't even mention them to me. He revered his brother D.B. when he was writing books and short stories, but now he thinks he's, quote, being a prostitute by uh, writing movies out in Hollywood. The movies make themes, things seem easier than they really are, like falling in love or, as he hilariously points out, knocking someone unconscious. One of the other reasons he doesn't like movies or even theater stage shows is the actors. He says in chapter 16, quote, In the first place, I hate actors. They never act like people. Despite how much he loathes these productions, though, he continues to go see them and spends a lot of time talking about them. Sounds pretty phony to me. So what's the deal with Holden's fixation on phoniness? Holden hates phonies because they represent everything he fears or fights against, such as adulthood and conformity. 
He believes people shouldn't stray from their true nature, and actors do the exact exact opposite by becoming a completely different person when they go into character. This is all funny, though, considering Holden said in Chapter 4, quote, All I need is an audience. I'm an exhibitionist. Holden craves attention and is so desperate to find someone to listen to him that he even reaches out to people he claims he doesn't really like or keep in touch with, as well as complete strangers. During his time in New York, Holden constantly tries to order alcoholic drinks and even dabbles in hiring a prostitute. Is Holden the real phony actor here? Are all of these adult activities excusable to him because it's all an act to feel like a grown-up without actually being a phony adult himself? Does he stay true to his own nature even after all of these experiences? Or does he come to realize that these experiences are changing him, therefore leading to his seemingly random desire to go off-grid and live in a log cabin in the wilderness? safe from society and its phoniness. Childhood innocence is a major theme in this novel. Nowhere is that more apparent than the title of the book itself. We first hear the book's title in chapter 16, when Holden sees a little boy walking in the street singing, If a body catch a body coming through the rye, while the boy's parents on the sidewalk pay no attention to him. This placement of the boy on the street and his parents on the sidewalk demonstrates that the boy exists in a world separate from the phoniness of adulthood. When Holden's beloved younger sister, Phoebe, asks him what he wants to be when he grows up, he tells her he wants to be the catcher in the rye, the one responsible for saving children before they start to go off the cliff. Holden's rye field is similar to the Garden of Eden, a place full of innocence and free of corruption. The fall from the cliff that Holden wants to save the children from is the fall into adulthood and all of its corruptible traits like greed, lust, and pride. This all reminds us of the biblical fall of Adam and Eve, who were exiled from the garden after their awakening to sin and the shame of sexuality, a shame that Holden also feels. Holden's whole understanding of the boy's song is wrong, though. Phoebe corrects him, saying that the correct lyrics are, if a body meet a body coming through the rye. There is no catcher in the rye. The poem by Robert Burns uses the word meat to describe a sexual encounter that's casual in nature. Burns is essentially asking, is it okay for people to have a sexual encounter without a romantic commitment to each other? Holden's whole idea of childhood innocence as the correct words of the poem point out, may be a fleeting ideal idealistic dream. 
Holden even eventually uh, unintentionally depicts this for us when he describes the young children he encounters or knows in the story. His brother, Allie, died before he even entered his teenage years, so he will always remain a child in Holden's eyes. Phoebe has a scrape on her arm from where a classmate pushed her down the stairs after she poured ink on his jacket, a sign of the cruelty of children. Likewise, the Caulfield's family, Caulfield family's maid is deaf in one ear from a childhood injury inflicted by her brother. True innocence, as Holden imagines it, may simply be unattainable. Nevertheless, Holden does everything he can to protect himself be from becoming a phony, including wearing his red hunting hat. The red hunting hat is like Holden's security blanket. It's the same color as his brother Allie's hair. And he says he only wears it, however, when, quote, I knew I wouldn't meet anyone that knew me. Furthermore, another symbolic moment comes in the Museum of Natural History. The displays there remain the same. They don't age. Just like Holden doesn't want to take the plunge into adulthood and wants to preserve others from it. There's even a scene in the book where Holden explains mummies to two curious boys. It's very interesting, he says. They wrapped their faces up in these cloths that were treated with some secret chemical. That way they could be buried in their tombs for thousands of years and their faces wouldn't rot or anything. Nobody knows how to do it except the Egyptians, even modern science. Holden's focus on the faces in this scene indicate that he fears becoming another faceless adult stuck in the corporate wheel. He wants to preserve his individuality for as long as possible, for eternity even, like the mummies, if possible. Then there's the most striking symbol in the whole book, the carousel. I won't really go into it here because even though it's hard to spoil per se the catcher in the rye, the carousel is perhaps the most important part of Holden's story. I'll just point out that it's raining in the scene, a strong literary device or indicator that's basically the author's way of screaming at the reader, hey, look at this. Here's a big character transformation moment. So I'd say it's about time for my rating. My scale from best to worst is bookshelf worthy by library spark notes and pass in my opinion the catcher in the rye is worth buying i can understand the perspective of those who don't enjoy the book whether it's because of the lack of a traditional maybe straightforward plot or even the cynicism and misogyny of holden and his narration but i enjoyed this book I like that Holden gets called out on his BS, even by his sister Phoebe, when she exclaims that he hates everything and asks him to name 
one thing he loves. Plus, it's just downright funny at parts. Like in chapter 12, when Holden sees one of his older, older brother's exes and her boyfriend. He tells the boyfriend it was nice to meet him when he leaves. And then immediately tells us that this always kills me. I'm always saying, glad to have met you to, to somebody I'm not at all glad I met. If you want to stay alive, you have to stay say that stuff, though. It's fascinating to me that Salinger returned from World War II and wrote this Bildungsroman about 16-year-old Holden instead of other narratives about his war experiences. If you haven't checked out The Catcher in Rye or the only time you read it was way back when it was assigned in school, I encourage you to pick it up or give it another chance. You may enjoy it more now, and if you don't, well, you might just be a phony. Thank you for listening to this episode of Book Blurbs. I invite you to follow the podcast on social media, on Facebook and Twitter at bookblurbs19. That's book, B-O-O-K, blurbs, B-L-U-R-B-S, the number 19. You can also send an email to bookblurbs19 at gmail.com and leave a voice message at www.anchor.fm slash book blurbs. Please do me a favor and leave a rating for book blurbs on whichever podcasting platform you're listening to this episode on, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. I've been your host, Kenneth, and I hope to welcome all of you back on the next episode of Book Blurbs. Stay safe and stay well. Happy reading!